Father in heaven, I ask that you will speak to us today. I claim that promise that you gave to Moses those many years ago. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And I pray that the message today might accomplish its purpose in your heart, in our hearts, and that we will be able to respond appropriately. May your spirit teach us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. This is a passage by the Apostle Paul, which I thought was so fitting, or rather this song we sang this morning was so fitting with what we are about to look at. So Philippians chapter 3, we'll begin reading in verse 13. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13 and 14, it says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So let me ask you a simple question. How many things is Paul proposing to do? One thing. But do you notice that he proceeds to list more than one thing? Is Paul like mathematically challenged? Is there something wrong with the number of digits on his hands? Like one, 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 one. Is that what happened? What's what's going on here? Paul says, this one thing I do. And then notice, there's a little comma there. Of course, a comma is not inspired, but I think it gives us a clue how Paul is trying to communicate to us. There's one thing I do, comma, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, comma. Just... Imagine with me, extract those two things out, and let's read it again. But this one thing I do, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then how do you press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? Well, it involves two things. It requires us to forget those things which are behind and to reach forth unto those things which are before. Does that make sense how I'm reading this passage? I'm trying to preserve Paul's mathematical integrity here. So he's saying there's one thing that I do, but in order to do that, there are two steps, if you will, or two uh, phases to this thing. And so these these are the things I want to focus on today. Actually, three things. Number one, forgetting that which is behind. What does that mean? Reaching forth for what is before. What does that mean? And this thing that we're looking at is sort of a mouthful, the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to summarize by just calling the high calling. You understand that I'm referring to the whole thing, but the high calling. What is that? And how do these things relate and apply to us? Particularly, yes, individually, but particularly in the context of working in ministries. So let's begin. Verse 13. Forgetting those things which are behind. It's 
Interesting that often when we read in the Bible and the spirit prophecy, there are contradictions or seeming contradictions, things that are held in tension, right? If you are to live, you must die, right? To receive, you must give. But here, Paul says we need to forget certain things. But if I recall correctly, spirit prophecy tells us we have nothing to fear for the future, except what? We forget. Oh, boy. Is Paul and Ellen White, like, going at odds here? Of course not. So let's try to look at this, right, and see what is Paul really trying to say. Forgetting those things which are behind, and he contrasts that with with reaching forth unto those things which are before. So imagine with me, he's, he's using this imagery, he's pressing on. He's like going for the goal, he's like reaching, but in order for him to reach, there are certain things he has to what? Let go. So another way I read this is, in order for us to press on to that prize, for that high calling in Christ Jesus, in order for us to reach that goal, there are certain things we've got to be willing to let go. And in fact, in Hebrews, he says something similar, right? Let us run this race with patience, setting aside every weight, every besetting sin. So I want to stick within the context of Philippians 3, and not just interpret based on my own human reasoning. So let's take a look at what Paul has to say about forgetting or letting go. Let's look in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul here is saying, look, if anyone has anything to boast or to have confidence in, in a human way, his, his, my own human nature... I've got plenty to boast about. I've got plenty to be confident in. And he proceeds to list some of these things. Verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted what? Loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Let's stop right there. So Paul is saying there are certain things he had to let go in his past. And for him, he's using this in the positive sense. Like I've got all of these positive traits that I can point to to say, look at me. Right? Look at my lineage, tribe of Benjamin. I've, I was circumcised at the exact right time. I know the law. I have skills. I have talents. I have the education. I have the political, social, economic status. I had the power. I was in the Sanhedrin. I was a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Look at me, Paul could have said, but he says, I'm forgetting that which is behind. But there's more to it than that. He mentions something here interesting. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He's using this in the sense of, yeah, I had a lot of zeal. But the way that he says this, if we're going to dig another layer down here, it shows me something else. 
And that is that Paul was not crippled with that guilt of having the blood of God's people on his hands. Because if, imagine if you were Paul, right? You were the young man holding the coats of all the people who stoned Stephen. And then not too long later, you are becoming a leader in the very same movement of the man that you had a part in stoning. Is, do you think you would have some mental issues like sleepless nights? Like, what have I done? Right? But you notice that Paul, he can mention these things. He can just say them without that sense of overwhelming guilt. Because he has forgot those things which are behind. But of course, it's not just because he has some very good, you know, psychologist or psychiatrist that he worked with. Rather, he had the scriptures, right? He understood that if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does that mean for us as individuals? Are we relying on our pedigree? I've got a doctorate degree or master's degree or whatever, so I have the opportunity to show these self-supporting people what I know. Or perhaps we have natural aptitudes, capabilities that we say, I'm smart enough, I can do this. Or maybe social relationships, connections, all these things, perhaps we need to be willing to let them go. But maybe sometimes we feel inadequate or crippled because of mistakes we've made. Problems in the past that we feel like we cannot move past. Maybe these besetments and these weights that slow us down, we need to be like Paul and to be willing to forget that which is behind. But what about our ministries? Is it possible sometimes our ministries are hampered with the sense of legacy that we carry. Maybe in the positive sense, we think, oh, we, we just got to keep doing the way that we've always done it because that's how they used to do it in Madison and that must be the right way. Perhaps some of the things we need to be willing to forget and to drop is this mindset that change is bad, that Whatever we've done for the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, how many years have we been going now? All these many years that we just got to keep doing it. Maybe there are certain things we need to be willing to take a close look at and say, maybe there are certain things we need to forget and leave behind. But I know that in our ministries, often there are struggles. Perhaps there have been decisions previously made, previous administrations, previous leaders, and we're looking at it and we're saying, how can we resolve these things? And yes, we have to deal with them, but instead of focusing on the past, perhaps there are certain things we need to forget and let go. But it's not just to have, you know, mental peace and, you know, like, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back and feel better about ourselves. That's not the purpose. Because Paul continues He counts all things but loss. And even he says, I do count them but dung. But for what purpose? 
In verse 13, he says, so that he can reach forth unto those things which are before. But let's go back to verse 8. Because he tells us what that is that he's reaching forth for. And boy, this is beautiful. Right here. Check this out. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count that but dung that I may do what? Win Christ. That's what he's reaching for. And if I could, if I could be so bold to say that if we want to like encapsulate our whole theme this week, the one thing, what's the one thing? Win Christ. That's it. And everything we're talking this week, it's, that's all it is. It's just like extracting from those two words, win Christ. You know, like, what does that mean for you, me, our ministries, and how do we accomplish this work? But let's, let's dig a little deeper here. So Paul says that he is working to win Christ. Let's continue reading a few more verses. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So you see, Paul is repeating this in different words. In verse 8 he says, Uh, He wants to attain the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, that I may win Christ, that I may be found in him, that I may know him. This is the singular focus of Paul's life and his ministry. And this is the point. Paul had a definite aim, a clear focus, a precise mission. He knew exactly what he was going for, and everything that he did either supported that or he forgot it. Ellen White actually supports this statement. She says in Education, page 262, one of my favorite passages, she says, success in any line demands a definite aim. He who would achieve true success in life must keep steadily in view the aim worthy of his endeavor. Now that's all good and and wonderful, but... I've come to find that within the Adventist culture, particularly the conservative side of the spectrum, which I consider myself to be a part of, often our religion has consisted of running from things. The world is bad. Stay away. Hollywood is encroaching on our young people. Run away. The internet has all of these things that's like bombarding our senses. Run away. It's GMO. Run away. But Paul here, his religion is not consisting of all the things to avoid, avoid, stay away. Everyone, get back. Let's let's run away from the cities for the sake of protecting ourselves. Paul says, you got to have something to run to. That's how we got to operate. We got to let some things go. and We have to look out there and say, what is it that we want to win? And run towards it. And the country living, look, I believe in all that stuff. But those things are to support and to drive that which we're running to. And for Christ, or for Paul rather, he was simply trying to win Christ. So for our ministries, what's our single-minded focus? I know that 
ministries are not saved, you know, like organizations don't have a name in heaven, like, okay, the corporation of da-da-da-da-da, okay, you're up for judgment now. We're judged as individuals. But ministries still have a related focus, and that is to help others win Christ. Would you not agree? In fact, that same statement I read earlier, success in any line demands a definite aim. Continuing, it says, the heaven-appointed purpose of giving the gospel to the world in this generation is the noblest that can appeal to any human being. So as ministries is our mission, our vision, our focus, our aim, our purpose, our target, whatever other word, synonym you want to stick in there, does it focus and hinge and rest on the bedrock of helping others to win Jesus Christ? Because the financial solvency of an institution alone is not the mission. Having the highest enrollment in our classes or in our lifestyle program is not the mission. Having all of these activities, and I believe in the Beehive vision, but the activities in and of themselves are not the mission. All of these things must support the one vision, which is to help others win Christ. What are we doing? Are we feeding that aim or are there things that we do just because we've gotten into the routine of doing them and we do them just for the sake of doing them and we have forgotten, it's gotten blurry, we're not so sure exactly why we do it anymore. For Paul, there was no question. He had a singular aim, and that is he is there to win Christ and to help others win Christ. There's a statement here from Gospel Workers, page 58, paragraph 4. Paul's was a life of intense and varied activities. From city to city, from country to country, he journeyed, telling the story of the cross, winning converts to the gospel, and establishing churches. His ministry sounds just like OCI. That's exactly what he was doing. For these churches, he had constant care, and he wrote many letters of instruction to them. At times, he worked at his trade to earn his daily bread. Look, he's a self-supporter, 100%. But in all the busy activity of his life, he never lost sight of the one great purpose, to press toward the mark of his high calling. Paul was probably one of the busiest men who ever walked the face of the earth. He had irons and many fires, He's writing to all these churches. His brain was divided, but all of these things he was doing all came back to one singular purpose. And so what's that purpose? He's reaching forth. He's trying to win Christ. He's willing to forget some things, but this high calling of God in Christ Jesus, what is this all about? Let's transition and time is ticking. I read this statement from That I May Know Him, page 130. Notice carefully, it says, Christ presents before us the highest perfection of Christian character, which throughout our lifetime we should aim to reach. Perfection of Christian character. Concerning this perfection, Paul writes, Not as though I had already attained, 
either were already perfect, but I follow after. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Are we talking about the same thing here? Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Our work is to strive to attain in our sphere of action the perfection that Christ in his life on the earth attained in every phase of character. He is our example. In all things, we are to strive to honor God in character. All right. It's the big P word. Perfection of character. We can spend, you know, a whole weekend symposium dealing with the theology of Christian perfection. I'm not going there. All I'm saying here is Ellen White associates the high calling in Christ Jesus with perfection of character. That's the high mark for her. Whatever that means, study it out, as uh, the church has been doing for many years. But I want to zero in on how this applies to our ministries. As personal individuals, we could spend a lot of time, but I want to zero in on our work. When when Ellen White here says, attaining that perfection in our sphere of action that Christ in his life attained in every phase of character on earth, how does that affect us in our ministries? Next quote. Publishing Ministry, page 41. What book is it from? Publishing Ministry. Keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that thought. She writes this, page 41, paragraph 1. Even in mechanical lines, God desires that the perfection of his character shall appear. The exactness, skill, tact, wisdom, and perfection which he required in the building of the earthly tabernacle, he desires to have brought into everything that shall be done in his service. Does that include ministries? Now, this, this book, where did it come from again? Publishing. Publishing Ministries. So when she's talking about mechanical lines, what is she thinking about? Okay, I'm, I've got the, the, the time here. Setting the type, running the presses, the daily toil, the daily rigor, right, of keeping the machinery running, the, the gears greased. It's not management. It's not leadership. Is not administration. But how much more in those positions ought the perfection of his character appear? If I can put it simply, the purpose of this, or, or the, this high calling as it ap- uh, applies to our ministries is for us in every phase of our work to reveal Christ fully. When we work out in the gardens, on the grounds, in maintenance, housekeeping, nursing homes, teaching students, what have you, what we are doing and how we do it, not just what we say, what we teach, how we do it, it is a representation of the character of God. So I need to close here soon, but... Do I have permission to speak plainly with you before breakfast? Is it possible that for many of us, because we are working in ministry, we use that as an excuse to give God less than our best? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying that our institutions are bad, not at all. What I'm saying is perhaps sometimes we get this spirit that God will just 
understand. We're just volunteers or we're just on stipends, and so our effort is commensurate to the very small dollar amounts that show up in our, on our checks. Is that a possibility? Maybe because we're a ministry, funds are tight, God will understand if our record-keeping is not as meticulous as perhaps they could be. Maybe punctuality, timeliness takes a slower priority because Adventist time, right? We're on prophetic time here. (laughs) Maybe the quality of our work, of our campus, of how we interact with our co-workers perhaps takes a lower priority than if my 401k you know, depended on it like in my last job. Is it possible that because we're in God's work, we give ourselves the excuse to do less lower quality, less excellent work? I know I've caught myself thinking that way. And maybe as ministries, we look at all of the things we're doing and we recognize perhaps we're not doing any single one of them extremely well. But we pat ourselves on the back and says, well, Ellen White says we need to do it. And so God understands. But the spirit of prophecy also tells us that even in mechanical lines, God desires the perfection of his character to appear. Yes, we need to follow the spirit of prophecy, but let's follow all of it. And that is that in all phases, in everything that shall be done in his service, may that same perfection be brought into our work as the workman on the earthly sanctuary. The summary of Paul's admonishment, I believe, is just this. To maintain that spirit of excellence, that attitude that I'm representing Christ in everything that I do however menial or mundane that I think it might be, because we are revealing Christ. And I'll just say this one last thing. And this doesn't just apply to our public-facing departments either. I know we spend a lot of effort to make sure our restaurants and our stores and our lifestyle presents the right face, but the excellence that God requires involves our relationship with the other workers as well. How we minister to them and treat them and work with them. Higher than the highest human thought can reach is God's ideal for his children. Ever heard that before? That's not just for us in a spiritual sense. It's in the practical, everyday sense. Do you think Jesus Christ in his carpentry work did shoddy work? You better believe it was very high quality, perfect work. Godliness, godlikeness is the ideal to be reached. Our time is up. But here's the challenge from this morning's message. Brethren, let us do that one thing that Paul admonishes us to do to forget those things which are behind, to reach forth for those things which are before, and to press toward that mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the admonishment and the encouragement from Paul. Lord, we look at him and we see an example of an individual who never lost sight of that purpose and that focus. Lord, we recognize today there are certain things we need to be willing to let, let go and to leave behind. There is that one singular purpose that we must exert and invest all of our energy into. And Lord, the purpose for that is so that we might rightly represent you. In all phases of our work, of our ministry, and how we interact with one another, I pray you will help us. Help us to exemplify the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our work, in our lives. Bless the ministries represented here and those who are not. Lord, truly, even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. This is our prayer in his name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.